And so this morning, we're going to be continuing uh, kind of in our approach of uh, considering what it means to be the church. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at the, the wonder of God's plan in the church uh, that Jesus himself said it was better for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come uh, in order to build the church and for that to be the body of Christ uh, moving forward until Jesus Christ returns. We looked at how the church should be bound by a unity uh, of peace, seeking the Spirit of God uh, and not allowing the things of this world to cause division uh, or separation at all. And then last week what our focus was, was the need to be the church, to, to participate. Each one of us are called to be a part of the body of Christ uh, and not something that we uh, come and just spectate or watch happen uh, that it ha doesn't have anything to do with expertise, but rather just relying on the power of God and, and trusting Him and just taking one step forward and one step forward in that. Well, since we met last week, uh, it's been a crazy week uh, in our nation. Um, more riots, uh, invasion uh, of the capital, um, more division within our country, uh, sadly more division within the church at times. Uh, and this idea of an intense time of living uh, seems to be continuing. Uh, you know, this time last year, is we kind of heard the, the rumors of the coronavirus and where it might be coming from and where it's going. And, and this time last year, we're like heading into February and like, okay, we'll see what happens. And then in March, there was the big shutdown. Uh, and then we all kind of know what has happened since then with uh, everything that has happened in our country and not just in our country, uh, but around the world. It's been a, a very intense time uh, to live. Even this last Christmas, so just about two weeks ago, um, there was brothers and sisters, uh, Christians in Nigeria, were attacked on Christmas Eve. Seven people were killed. Houses were burned down. A church was burned down. Uh, and a pastor was kidnapped. Um, and these types of things are, are there. And, and we just may not be aware of stuff happening in other areas of our country. Uh, and our perspective is very much on what we're experiencing and what we're seeing on the news and the vitriol and the hate and the contention that have been happening. Uh, and again, it, it's one of those times, you know, as you kind of get older, uh, I realize like there, there's certain times that you can look back on, right? And you can be like, this was like a really intense time and, and you kind of age yourself in doing so. Uh, you know, so here we have 2020. Um, but I also remember like sitting in my living room in stunned silence, watching planes crash into the World Trade Center. And, and how long ago was that? Somebody with math, here's the quiz. 19 years, thank you. You know, and, and so that was a very intense time in our world, in our life. There was the, uh, the economic crisis that hit. I remember um, being uh, in kindergarten and, and watching the video. They actually interrupted kindergarten, and we watched the video of the space shuttle uh, exploding. You know, and we have these events through history, but I think it's helpful to kind of put things into perspective because we're looking for ourselves and our lives right here and right now, and we're saying, wow, this is really intense. But I think it's good to remind ourselves, what else has the church been through? What else has the body of Christ experienced? Uh, as we talked about 
you know, even these killings that happened in Nigeria two weeks ago, uh, but there are beheadings and killings of Christians in other areas of the world uh, that's never really ceased. Uh, and in the Middle East, uh, it's almost a death sentence to convert to Christianity. Uh, there's imprisonment of our brothers and sisters in China uh, and various other countries uh, where they have to go underground and have church at night and keep everything hidden. Uh, imagine living through the time of the Cold War. Uh, and I'm not going to ask people to raise their hands and date themselves. You know, but the church during the time of the Cold War and, and, and just the tension that was there with the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, and people were building bomb shelters in their backyards, wondering if the apocalypse was just around the corner because somebody pressed a red button. The time of Vietnam, Korean War, World War II. Like, imagine being the church during the time of World War II. And the whole world is killing one another. And even that sense at that time, like, I think Jesus is coming back, you know, and we have that kind of sense right now, but literally men from all over, I mean, there's a, a sign on your way out the door from the march of people from this very community that have stars next to their name that died in that. The church went through that. They went through the Great Depression where people were starving to death. World War I. The Spanish influenza, uh, and so another pandemic where hundreds of thousands of people died. The American Revolution, the French Revolution, the revolution of how many other different ones happened. And the church went through all of those. The, the Reformation, um, and where Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses on a church saying, like, the church needs to reform. There's some areas where we're, we're not quite lining up with Scripture, and we just need to change this. And it created uh, great tension, but also persecution of people. Uh, look up the story of John Huss, uh, who was before Luther, but was calling for some of the very same things uh, that Luther wanted to change and bring back to a, a biblical view and living out of Christianity. Uh, and John Huss was burned alive. There was the Dark Ages and all of the terror that happened through that, the Black plague. And there's stories of churches within the Black Plague. So, so the whole town got sick, and the kingdom said, okay, we're going to build a barrier around the city, and we're just going to isolate this until everybody dies. And the church, the ones who were healthy, uh, I forget where this was, but they're like, we're not leaving. We're going to sit here and minister to and care for the dying during this time. And the church lived through that. The, the Roman Empire much of Scripture was written while Nero was emperor of Rome. And so when Paul writes in Romans uh, chapter 13, and he's saying obey the governing authorities, he's talking about Nero and the laws of Rome at that time. And the church lived through that, the persecution of Christians, even to the point where Jesus Christ himself was crucified. And in all of this, through, through the vast expression of history, from the arrival of Jesus at Christmas to our lives here and now in 2020 and 2021, in all of this, Christ has ruled. Christ has ruled. His, his body and the church has endured. A few weeks ago, we were talking about upon the, the promise or upon the premise of, 
the statement of Jesus Christ being the Messiah, the church would be built and the gates of hell would not prosper against it. And we just look at everything that the church has been through. War after war after war, pandemic after pandemic after pandemic, countless governments, countless leaders, and the church has endured through all of these things. In fact, more than endured. Romans 8, verse 35, puts it this way. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of sword? Uh, Like some of these things are what we're living through right now. Affliction, distress, persecution, famine. Verse 36, as it is written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. We think of our brothers and sisters two weeks ago, Christmas Eve in Nigeria. But then in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As he's writing this in Romans, he's saying, like all these things... The, the worst things that we can experience in our human life here on earth do not matter or count against us because in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors because he has loved us. We cannot be shaken as a church if we are anchored to Jesus Christ, regardless of what happens in the political world, in our country, this week or in the years to come. We're called to be more than conquerors and not fall into petty infighting and accusations that cause divisions, but rather to conquer these things through Jesus Christ. Verse 38, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, angels nor rulers nor presidents nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, or depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing that is happening in our nation today, no created thing will be able to separate us from Jesus Christ our Lord. Who created all things, spoke them into existence? Jesus. So what thing can separate us from him? Because everything else is created by him, which includes Satan and all of the fallen angels. They're all created beings. And there's nothing they can do spiritually to separate us from the love of Christ. No created thing can separate us from the love of of Christ. And in that love is this is the love that we cannot be separated from. We go back in verse 37 where it talks about in all these things whether it's persecution or famine or, or pestilence or sword or death in all these things we're more than conquerors why? Through him who loved us. And it's him who loved us that holds us and will not allow any of this to separate us from him. So, okay, life gets rocky at times. We just look through our history, and we can see that. My, my grandfather, some of your grandfathers and people, but he was on a battleship in the Pacific in World War II. 
and the things that he went through are different than things we're going through. But we have to remember that in all these things, regardless of what happens, if, if our nation happens to like just completely dissolve and go into utter chaos and anarchy within 10 days, we're more than conquerors because of Jesus Christ. If this nation uh, starts to pull itself back together, and, and continues on in a path of idolatry and seeking after self, and everything seems to get better, and, and we don't feel this stress or this worry because our finances aren't in a much of a threat or our own political preferences aren't in a threat, and so we kind of feel ourselves being able to, to be a little bit more at peace because we don't have to worry about these things. We're still more than conquerors because those things are just temporary. And in the light of eternity, they do not matter. The love of Christ. That he's called us to be his body. And more than that, to be more than conquerors through him who loved us and through him that will not allow anything to separate us from him. It was this premise of Jesus Christ as the Messiah that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this foundation, on this rock, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was through that premise that a dozen disciples became millions of disciples around the world today. Jesus Christ said, it was better for me to go. And he left and ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came in order to uh, indwell and equip and empower the church that continued the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so instead of having Jesus walk the earth and a handful of disciples in God's wisdom, he declared it's better that there's millions of us around the world carrying the light of the gospel and the hope of the love that cannot be separated because of Jesus Christ. This grew even through difficult times. And honestly, it grew more healthy and quickly through difficult times. Jesus himself said that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the purpose behind that parable was to say, if, if you've got everything going for you, if everything's kind of going easy and you don't have worries or cares or concerns, then, then it's really easy to depend upon yourself versus to depend on Christ for salvation. To, to set aside trying to build our own kingdoms for our own preferences here on this earth and instead live as a doulos, as a bondservant of Jesus Christ, saying, you're my Lord, and I'm going to follow you wherever we go, through the valley of the shadow of death, through the valley of the shadow of a political system that's in shambles right now, through the valley of a shadow of a pandemic that's going around the world, through the valley of the shadow of persecution that may come. Whatever happens, we walk with Christ because we are his body and he will never let us separate. And in fact, it's through these trials that he tells us that our best growth happens. In James chapter 1, verse 2, consider it a great joy. I, I, I want to stop right there. You take the verse down if it's still up. Everybody read it already. But like, what are some things that you consider to be a great joy? Try and forget the spoiler. Like, 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 
What's something that you have great joy in? Our children, absolutely. What? Worshiping God. Yeah, I love sitting here and singing. Uh, I love the, just the uninhibited laughter of a toddler. Like, I love that. Like, it just makes me go. Anything else? What else do we have great joy in? Work? For some people. <laughs> but do all things unto the Lord, and it's good when we can find joy in our work. Absolutely. Ha- hosting people. Being able to, it's better to give than to receive. Absolutely. We, we find joy in, in food. We find joy in relationships. We find joy in experiences. And, and it's a trap to consider that joy only comes from positive things. We'll go to the verse now, which we saw, and you know where I'm going with it. But it says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Who considers 2020 to be a great joy? It's a choice. And so we can choose to consider it a great joy because of what this verse says. But if we're only focused on our experiences and how we feel and what we would prefer things to be like, it's a struggle to rest in the truth of this verse. Consider it a great joy when you experience various trials, when you experience a pandemic when you experience a a political turmoil, when you experience persecution or betrayal, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So what God is saying with the Holy Spirit is inspiring and telling us is that we can have great joy because we went through 2020. That's what the church should look like. Not in this sense of fear or a sense of division or a sense of pointing fingers at one another, but to have great joy saying, yeah, that was kind of hard, but God is working in us and growing in us. Our faith is being tested, and our endurance is being made strong because nothing can separate us from the love of God. If everything falls apart, I'm going to consider it great joy because God is going to use it to grow my faith and allow us to be the light into the world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. But it's a choice that we have to make. And the way to make this choice is to sit there and to consider what is the priority? What is the focus in our life? What is the the thing that we hold most dear? Is it our earthly experience? How we feel, the things that we do, what happens to us, whether or not we feel happiness or our bodies feel okay or nobody offends us or everything is going smoothly. If we put our joy in that, we're going to find out, like many people, and even ourselves did, through various things this last year, how turbulent and, and how shifting and weak that joy is. One of the things I was looking forward to this, this last year in 2020 
um, I bought tickets to a baseball game. You know, and, and I wanted to, you know, go and watch the Brewers beat the Cubs in Milwaukee because that's always a joyful thing. Um, so I have tickets for that. And, and then, of course, here's coronavirus. And, and then, okay, the game's canceled. And I remember, like, in that moment being, like, really, like, bummed out. Like, I don't get to go watch the Brewers beat the Cubs. My joy is demolished. Well, but yet we can respond that way because we get so focused on what we want and our own preferences. And that was a way that the Lord used this to reveal to me, like, okay, like I'm putting my joy on the experiences that I get to have here and now, these temporary little things, versus a challenge to anchor our joy so much more in the reality that Jesus Christ died for our sins was resurrected on the third day so that we might have hope of a new life with him, reconciled to God through the forgiveness of our sins. Through that reconciliation, he adopted us into his kingdom, given us the gift of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and then empowering us for his purpose, not ours. A major transformation. We no longer live for ourselves. Paul says that it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ in me. And the more that we can grasp onto that, the less that things have done, uh, have happened in these last years that, that should shake us. Because we consider it joy to go through them because God's using it to grow us and make us stronger. And so we look at these things and we recognize that the church has endured through multiple wars, multiple pandemics, multiple regimes, governments, all these things. And through all of this, God has rescued, equipped, grown, uh, growed, uh, and empowered the church through all of it. But in that, even recognizing that fact, we can find ourselves falling into a, another trap, another temptation. To, to look backward at what God has done in the past and say, yep, let's do that again. Like, that was awesome. Like, Azusa Street back in the West Coast and, and what happened there, the revival that happened through that, like, let's do that again. That sounds fun. And, and I would have loved to be able to see it and to participate and experience some of those things. We can look back at revivals, whether it would be in the tent or not, and be like, oh, it'd be great if God would do that again. Wouldn't it be cool if we could set up a tent at the fairgrounds and have the whole city of Janesville come? Like, that'd be awesome. Or, or sweeping changes throughout society. I think of William Wilberforce um, in England putting, uh, pushing to end slavery and everything that he did for that based on Christian ethics and just desiring to reflect Jesus Christ to everybody. We think of uh, the great missions that happened, humanitarian aid where, where people are cared for throughout the world, and we hope that God does some of the same things. There's, there's a temptation to look back and say, God, if you did that again, like that would help so much. But God has instruction for this to the nation of Israel that applies to us today. We go to Isaiah chapter 43, uh, verses 15 through 19. Uh, this is God speaking through Isaiah. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So he just starts off with this reminder. This is who I am. 
is what he's telling us. I'm your Lord. I'm the Holy One. I'm the creator of the church. My blood poured out on the dusty ground of Jerusalem for the church and for you. I'm your king. Verse 16, this is what the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path through raging water, who brings out the chariot and the horse and the army and the mighty one together. They lie down. They do not rise again. They are extinguished and put out like a wick. Do you know what event he's talking about here? He's talking about the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt and walking through the Red Sea. This is God saying, I'm the one that made a way for you to go through the Red Sea, uh, made a path through raging water. There was chariot and horse as the uh, nation, the army of Egypt, was following after to kill the Israelites. They lie down and they do not rise again. They're extinguished and put out like a wick. And he's talking about how the army of chariots and horses went down into the Red Sea following after the Israelites. And once the Israelites were on dry ground, God just let the waters come back and they lied down and never got up again. So again, God's saying, this is what I did in your past. But then in verse 18, he says, this is what I did. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Other translations will say, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, look, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is a passage that we will look at at times uh, as we go through struggles in our life. We look at our past. There's things that, that we've done that we've been forgiven of. Uh, and this is a good memory verse to, to forget the former things. Do not dwell in the past. God's doing a new thing within you. And it is a helpful encouragement for those times. But it's also God saying, I don't do things the way I used to do them all the time. Don't sit there and hope for me to split the sea again in order to rescue you from your enemies. I did that then. I'm doing something different now. We just go through the, the book of Judges and see how many different times God rescued his people from those that were oppressing. And, and at times, he did it through the smashing of jars and the raising of torches. And, and people kind of went crazy and the army took out itself. Through other times... It was a woman with a tent peg who served milk while the commander of the army fell asleep that was slaughtering Israel. And through her hand with a hammer, God rescued his people. Another time it was Samson and the strength that he had. Time and time again, God used different ways. And so he's saying, do not dwell on the past. Do not keep looking back and saying, oh Lord, if you would just have tent revivals happen again, that would fix our nation. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. I'm doing something new. Even now it's coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This passage is, is right where I feel we need to be. It's one of the reasons that we have these different prayer nights that are coming up over the next four weeks. 
where we're living at now in January of 2021 is vastly different than where we lived in January of 2020 before all of this started. And the temptation might be for us to say, well, let's get back to where we were. Like, let's get back to having three different children's rooms happening. Let's get back to what we used to be as a church. Let's get back to normal. This is a nation full of people that are looking just to get back to normal. Back to the way things used to be. Back to a false sense of comfort and security. We're not called to do that as a church. Again, God brought us together. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 says that he builds the body of the church with people and each one equipped and gifted to minister to one another so that as a body, as a whole, we can be a light here in Janesville. We can be a light to those who are hurting, to a light to those who have no hope, a light to those that are stunned and fearful of what may come next. And as the church, we have great joy over what has just happened and what is going to come. It might be personally difficult for us to go through it, but because we're anchored in Christ, we know that nothing can separate us. And in fact, it's our mission to go through this, for our faith to be strengthened and to see others rescued out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light and love where they cannot be separated from Jesus Christ. And so instead of striving to get back to where we were at the beginning of 2020 or before, the heart that we have right now is really just to, to seek God and say, what do you want us to be? As a church, what do you want us to be? How do we minister to Janesville? Now, as we look through Scripture, there's very generic things that we're called to do. We talked about some of them last week in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We're going to be a church that devotes ourselves to Scripture. Absolutely. But you know how many different ways we can do that? Whether it's on a Sunday morning or in homes or online things, whatever it might be. That's what I want to go to God and say, how do you want us to be a church that's devoted to the apostles' teaching? They devoted themselves to fellowship. This last year has been is full of isolation, full of like, let's kind of keep our distance from one another. And I've been encouraged to see the church. Uh, we've had people walk up to our front door and, and stand 15 feet away, and we had a conversation, and it was great. And I'm so thankful that as a church, uh, we did not just completely isolate from one another, but I think that there may be unseen things that have come in or snuck in because we've kind of been a little distant. We want to be a church that's devoted to fellowship. And so, Lord, would you guide us on how to do that in this time and going forward? To be a church that's devoted to the breaking of bread, meaning communion, acknowledging that we're one in Christ because we share the body and blood of Christ through the elements of communion, but also through meals together. And so if there's ways that we're able to do that wisely and safely, or even just in small groups, if we find multiple small groups of people that are like, we're just going to hang out with you and you hang out with us, and we can encourage one another and pray with one another and have meals together, to find comfort in that, 
maybe that's where God's going to lead us. But that's where I want to seek together and see where does God want us to go. And then to be a church that's devoted to prayer. If we are going to consider it all joy, great joy, to face trials of various circumstances, it must be anchored in prayer. Because if we're not anchored in prayer, it's so easy to be tossed around by the various things in this world and the worries that we could have. What's it going to look like when Biden takes the presidency? Is Biden going to take the presidency? Could it be this? Could it be that? That we can go down this whole spider web of possibilities. If we're not anchored in prayer, then we can't consider it great joy to go through whatever comes next, knowing that Christ is on the throne and that anybody in the Oval Office, they're temporary. And in the light of eternity, what does it matter? Might be a bumpy four years, could be a better four years. We've been through this cycle before. Christ is on the throne, and our faith, our relationship with one another, should not be shaken by the person who runs this country. So we're going to focus on prayer. We're going to focus on prayer for the next four weeks. Uh, as we go into messages for the next three weeks, we're going to look at prayer in different ways. We're going to look how prayer helps us to submit to God and acknowledge that He is on the throne. We're going to look at how prayer transforms our minds and our lives so that we're not shaken by things of this world. And then we're going to look at how prayer is powerful for spiritual warfare, which is what God has called us to be in this world. Not just to survive, but as we saw in Romans, to be more than conquerors. And what we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strengthened. So this word finally, the, the, the previous five, six chapters of Ephesians leading up to this, uh, it talks in chapter 1 about how we're saved in Christ. It talks in chapter 2 about how he's called us uh, and equipped us, that it's through faith and not by works. But it also talks about how uh, being the church through the death of Jesus Christ breaks down all walls uh, of race, all walls of socioeconomic differences. Like all those things are broken down because uh, of Christ. Uh, chapter 3 talks about how God's wisdom is to use the church to show the light to the world. Chapter 4 talks about how we're supposed to be unified by the spirit of peace. Chapter 5 gives some instructions into various circumstances, husbands and wives. Chapter 6, so all these things leading up to, you are the church, you're called, you're equipped. So finally, in verse 10, finally, knowing these things, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against human beings. And especially not against our brothers and sisters in the church. Ephesians 4, unify. There's one spirit, one Lord, one baptism. Don't let earthly things separate us. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers 
of darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything, to take your stand. The church has not been living this way. We've been living as survivors waiting for Jesus to come back. And he's saying, after preparing everything, put on armor so that you can stand. Stand with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. Your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it wraps this all up in 18. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. We are here for a purpose. We are here to make war against sin and evil and darkness. And not just to try and hold on and survive until Jesus comes back. That's what I want to do these next weeks as we pray. God, you are our chief shepherd. You lead us. And what I don't want to do is kind of go off by myself into a study or on this little retreat and then come back to you and say, you know, this is what I think God's telling me. Let's all do this. I, I, we look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and it says it gathers and, and one has scripture, another one has a song, another one has some encouragement. I want to do that together and see if we can get a sense unified in the spirit of we feel like God is calling us as a church to do this. And then unified, let's do it together. Not some people participating, other people observing but as the body of Christ to seek the calling that God has for us as Mercy Hill in Janesville. Father, we come before you. I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for his death, that his blood paid for our sins, redeemed us, reconciled us with you, that we can have a relationship that we have uh, eternity with you and that nothing can separate us from your love. No created thing can separate us from your love, which includes ourselves. And so, Lord, I pray that you would guide us, that you would forgive us uh, for the times where, as a church, uh, not just here is Rock County, but as a church as a whole, we've become passive. We've become observers. We approach things with a survivor mentality of, I can just hold on until Jesus comes back. That is not the life that you gave us. You died so that we can have so much more than that. That in all of these things, in famine and sword, in death, in persecution, that we can be more than conquerors. And we're more than conquerors not because of what happens in, in this temporary physical time here on earth. We're more than conquerors because we are in Jesus Christ who is one for all of eternity and declared it is finished. 
So Lord, teach us to live that way. Guide us as a church to live that way. To be your body. To put on the full armor of God. To make an impact in this world for however long you may have us here and regardless of what happens. I pray that you give us a unity of the spirit of peace that will not be shaken by preference or what happens around us. I pray that you help us to be a church that's devoted to the word of God, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer in an intimate relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.